Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Dr. Aiken, thank you for inviting me. You know, we love Southeastern. My uh, assistant at, at Providence Church, where I pastor, she's just started uh, her program here at Southeastern online, uh, an MA in ministry to women. So uh, so I'm excited for her, and we, we do, we love uh, Southeastern. And it's so cool to see you, Mary, uh, from Caswell, uh, that announcement that Dr. Aiken made. I used to actually go preach there. Uh, so uh, I do recommend, if you're interested in doing camp ministry, Well, if you grab your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I am uh, just starting a series at my church looking at uh, a few of the prayers of Paul. And uh, this is the one that uh, I just preached uh, two days ago on Sunday at my church, uh, which, by the way, was my 11-year anniversary at that church, uh, was this past Sunday. So uh, it's, uh, it's one that I... Uh, would uh, pray this this prayer over you uh, in the season of life that you're in, uh, being trained, doing ministry, about to be launched into ministry. Uh, this is a prayer that I would want prayed for me constantly. I, I, I would recommend that you pray this for yourself uh, constantly. And so it's found in Ephesians 1. Let me just real quickly, Ephesians 1 breaks up into two sections, verses 3 through 14. Paul just uh, numbers out uh, the, the just incredible blessings that we have in Christ. And then in 15 through 23, he makes this intercession for the church in Ephesus, and I believe for us today, that we would fully know and embrace and understand these incredible blessings. And so uh, let's read starting in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and and, uh, who fills all in all. So I want us to see a few things about this prayer. First of all, Paul starts with uh, the reasons for his prayer. In other words, what motivates him to pray this prayer for them. And I want you to see a couple of them. I think both of them are very important. First, he says in verse 15, for this reason. So when you see that, obviously you got to pause and say, all right, well, what, what, what's come before, right? What, what is the reason that he's saying for this reason? And again, as I mentioned, it's, I believe, the incredible 
spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And without reading through all of them, just I want to just give you a flyover and just listen to this. That God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption through Christ. He's gave, given us redemption, forgiveness of our trespasses. He's lavished grace on us. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's given us an inheritance and a hope. And all of this he sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we possess it. So he's just laid all this out, and then he says, for this reason. In other words, I, I believe what he's saying is, man, these truths are so rich and so deep and fulfilling that I, I, I want you desperately to know them. And man, if we truly did understand how amazing the blessings that we have in Christ are, I, I believe so much of what we fret and despair over would, would just be eclipsed by the glorious blessings that we already have in Christ. So he says for, for one, one reason is, is the blessings. The other reason, I think it's very important, because, this is going on in verse 15, because I have heard of your faith and love. Because I've heard of your faith and love. So those are obviously the two authentic uh, uh, markers of Christianity, or two markers of authentic Christianity. Let me say it that way. Faith and love. So faith in Jesus, that we uh, put our trust fully on the person and work of Jesus, not Jesus plus something, all right? Remember in Galatians, Paul says that, man, if you try to add to Jesus, you lose Jesus. If you who seek to be justified by the law, he says you're severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So that your faith lands completely on the person and work of Jesus alone. We just... October 31 is Reformation Day. And what was uh, the, the great cry of the Reformers? That we're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Not adding anything. So one, faith, but two, love. Obviously, this is a marker of authentic Christianity, right? Jesus said, by this they will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. And man, I don't have time to go into this, but... One of the greatest damages being done to our Christian witness today in America is how Christians treat each other with such contempt, especially online. I mean, it's devastating to see the divisiveness that is happening online amongst Christian leaders even over maybe some tertiary issues, you know, and treating each other with such contempt. And so, man, here's the huge point of where I'm, where I'm going what Paul has just said is because these blessings are so rich and because I have seen the evidence of your salvation, faith and love. You say, why is that important? Here's why it's important. It's telling me that what Paul is about to pray is a prayer for Christians. This is not, we, we might think, well, what I just read, well, that's a prayer for non-Christians, that they would know God, right? That they would know the hope that is in Christ and those things. He's going to pray that for non-Christians, right? No, no, no. He is praying this because you are Christians. Are you with me? Since you have salvation, I want you to pray this. And so when you see this prayer and you go, well, these are things that are very elementary or basic, especially for someone who loves Jesus is in seminary, I want you to know this is something that we can never get to the bottom of, the riches that he's praying for. It's something that you're going to continually, continually want to grow in. And so I would sum up the content of the prayer with essentially this, that the content is knowing God. 
that the deepest need of every person in this room and in fact every person in the world is that they would have a relationship with their creator God, that they would know him. We were made to know him and so many do not. And this is the mission of God. In 1 Timothy 2, he tells us to pray for all men. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus says in John 17 that eternal life is that they would know you, God, and the Son whom you sent. And so Jesus says the essence of eternal life is knowing God. Now, some of you or some people may say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I know God. But before we kind of jump to that, I want us to see two things about the knowledge of God that you see in this text. First of all, it's a spiritual knowledge. Okay, take note of this. It's a spiritual knowledge. It, he says that he prays that God would uh, grant us uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, right? So it's primarily a spiritual knowledge. It doesn't come by human achievement, but it comes by God's grace through his spirit moving in your life. This is what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, we impart to you a secret and hidden wisdom of God. He says that these things that God has revealed in 1 Corinthians, he says this uh, to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. He is unable to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Do not forget, men and women, the, the, the hidden wisdom of God is something that is spiritually discerned. Remember when, uh, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God in Matthew 16. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The only way you know this is because the Spirit has enlightened you to know this. Let us never forget that, that we lean on the grace of God. That our knowledge of God is a matter of grace. Our knowing God is a consequence of his first taking knowledge of us. Now, I, I don't mean that God didn't know us before. I mean, God created us. He knows us in that sense. But it's, I mean, his taking knowledge of us, meaning his bringing us by his grace into that saving knowledge of him. We know him by faith because he first singled us out by grace is what I mean. So, man, it's a spiritual knowledge. But secondly, and this is so important for you, all right, you're in seminary. Hear me say this. And if you say, man, what's the one thing as a pastor you would want me to know? I would say it probably is this, that, man, it is a heart knowledge that Paul is praying for you to have, not a head knowledge. Look what it says here. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Remember that song we used to sing, Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, come on, you remember that in the 90s, yes? Or was that before your time, all right? So this is what he's praying. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. God wants us to have not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. And so many fill their minds with head knowledge and it doesn't enter into their heart. There's a difference between knowing God intimately and knowing about God. 
Of course, J.I. Packer, who wrote his incredible foundational work, uh, Knowing God, uh, many love and, and revere this work, but he, he writes in Knowing God, Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him as he takes knowledge of you. Knowing about him is a necessary precondition of trusting in him. How will they believe if they have not heard? Romans 10, 14. But the width of our knowledge about him is no gauge of the depth of our knowledge of him. You can have all the right notions in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they refer. And a simple Bible reader and sermon hearer who is full of the Holy Spirit will develop a far deeper acquaintance with his God and Savior than a more learned scholar who is content with being merely theologically correct. Please heed that advice. You can have all the right notions and miss God. It's, it's the knowledge of experience is what I'm referring to. My wife has been skydiving before. She's a stud. Right? I, let me just tell you, will probably never jump out of an airplane. Now, I could sit up here and probably give you some guesses uh, at what that would be like. You know, I'd say, well, man, you got to go get trained. Uh, you got to obviously, this is going to be deep, ready? You got to go up in an airplane, right? You have to wear a parachute, probably jump out with a guy. There's a ripcord. I mean, I can give you some, I got some knowledge of probably what it is. But how much more if my wife Meredith was standing here, how much more could she speak into jumping out of an airplane because she has had the experience of it? It's, a, it's, it's that heart knowledge. It's, it, it's, a, it's a knowledge of experience. It's a knowledge of relationship. I love how in Galatians 4, Paul says, but now that you have come to know God, and then he stops himself and he says, or rather to be known by God, you know? I mean, it, I could say that I know the president, and I can list out some things I know about him, right? But if I were to tell you the president knows me, every one of us would say, oh, okay, that's a whole nother level now of, 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 of relationship. If I say the president knows me, you see it? And this is what he is desiring, a heart knowledge in a relationship to experience God. And this is Psalm 34, 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I would say it this way, it's the knowledge of taste. Like imagine being in a nice restaurant, the waiter comes and gives you, you know, all the ingredients and the way that this special dish is prepared. You know what I'm talking about? What's your special of the day? And he goes out and we're going to prepare it this way with these ingredients and all this. And you're listening to it going, man, that sounds great. But it's a whole nother level of knowledge if you actually order the dish and taste it. And here's what God wants from you, friend. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul begged to have this knowledge of experience. In Philippians, he says it this way, I want to know Christ. In fact, I want a fellowship to share in his sufferings. Do you have that kind of passion to know God? I want to know him so intimately that I want to suffer in Christ, suffer for him. That's how much I want to experience Christ. David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That was his one thing. Jesus in Revelation 3 says, behold, I stand and knock at the door. Speaking to the church, by the way. 
If anyone opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. And God has invited you to the table to know him intimately. The knowledge of the heart. Uh, I used to live in Atlanta. I know. Go Astros. We're still not out of it, all right? All right, yeah, I knew it. I'm in enemy territory. So I used to live in Atlanta, and some of you uh, I know have heard of Louis Giglio. Uh, he used to do a thing called 722 for singles, and I'd go listen to Louis. And one time he was preaching, and we're sitting out there, and he just gets up, and he pulls out this invitation that he has in his hand. He goes, guys, you're not going to believe this. I got invited to the White House, to a, an event on the lawn of the White House. It's this, like, incredible, all these famous dignitaries were coming and famous, like, uh, celebrities were going to be there. And he says, and they asked me to come pray, and, and they've already told me who's at my table. Listen to who is at my table. And he starts listing off people at his table. Tom Cruise is at my table. He said, Bono is at my table, which I was like, what? All right, I'm in. All right. You may not know who that is. I don't know because you're younger, but you too. All right, so Bono's at my table. And he just listed off all that. Michael Jordan, I mean, he tried to hit someone that would hit all of us, right? And he says, these are the people at my table. And then I was like, no way, I can't wait to go. He goes, I called my wife, Shelly, and I said, Shelly, guess what I got invited to? Can you check our calendar? She checked the calendar and says, ah, Louie, I'm so sorry. You got a dentist appointment that day. And see, we're like, we did the same thing. We chuckled. And we're like, ha, ha, ha. And he goes, so, man, I had to call him and say, I can't make it. I'm sorry. And we're like, and then he goes, anyways, turn in your Bibles. And he kind of started preaching, right? And he just let that tension sit there for five minutes. And all of us were like, ah, like we're just dying, going, we can't even listen to the sermon. We're like, what are you doing? And like five minutes into it, he looks up and goes, see, you guys haven't listened to me for the last five minutes even, have you? And we're like, no. And he goes, because you can't imagine why I would do that. And I just made that whole thing up. I didn't get invited to the White House. And we're like, ah. And then he goes, but you are invited to the table of God every day. And so often we go, I got a dentist appointment. God wants you, friend, to dine with him, to know him intimately and now Paul's going to go on and list three specific things to know that I'm going to hit really quickly. But before I do, can I just say one thing? I just wonder if we were in Ephesus and we received this letter, okay? If you received this letter and you read this from the Apostle Paul and you read what he's praying for you, I just wonder if truly, be honest, truly in your heart you would leap for joy saying, yes, Paul, this is what I want prayed for me. Or I, I just wonder if maybe we'd be tempted to do this. Like, well, hold on, Paul. As long as you're praying, I've got some prayer requests that I want to throw in. Can I? I've got this trial I'm going through. Can you please pray that that will go away? I've got this need. Would you, would you pray that God would provide? Man, I've got this massive decision to make. Would you, would you pray that God would give me wisdom? I mean, we'd probably immediately move to really imminent, like uh, pressing needs in our life that are on the surface. And here's what we'd fail to realize, that what Paul is actually praying for us, friends, is truly the essential things. That really everything else takes care of itself. I'm not saying it's unimportant, those things. If you have what he's praying for here, this knowledge rooted in your heart. It's like what Solomon, man, remember when Solomon in 1 Kings 3, he asked the Lord for wisdom 
And God says, since you asked for wisdom and discernment and you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies, you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for long life, he said, I'm going to give you wisdom and in addition, I'm going to bless you with riches and honor also. That's God's way of saying this. Look at me, guys. I am pleased that you're focused on the inner man, the inner wisdom, the heart, and not just the surface needs. God, give me a spirit of wisdom to know these things. So what does he want us to know? Three specific things. Verse 18 and 19. Pray this for yourself. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So really quickly, first of all, he wants us to know the hope to which he has called us. Again, all the blessings in verses 3 through 14. The eternal life that awaits us to be in the presence of God forever, free from sin and suffering and regret and pain. The hope that we have, now listen, this is so important. That hope isn't in my ability to attain it. The hope is in the fact that he called me. Are you with me? The hope that we have isn't in our ability to get there, but our hope is in the fact that the one who called us is God himself. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We just read together Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, friend, the faithfulness of the one who does the calling is key, right? God is faithful. And again, in Ephesians 1, in verse 13 and 14, uh, it says that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal as of the promise. In other words, it's like a down payment that God has made. And listen to me. God who is faithful, when he makes a down payment, you can be sure that he's going to come through with all the rest. And that's what he's saying. Your hope is in the fact that God has called you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. It's the unbreakable chain of Romans 8.13, right? That those who are predestined, he is also called. Those who he's called, he's justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. Listen, you know you're going to make it to the end to glory. Why? Because he's the one who predestined and called you. He will get you to the end goes on to say in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us, how much will he not graciously give us all things? And so look here. What he's saying here is God is faithful. God has given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. And oh, by the way, he has also paid the ultimate price of the life of his son. You think he's not going to come through? And so here's what he's saying. Know that hope. Now listen, friend. You're at seminary going, man, Afshin, I know that hope. I just want you to know that after 11 years of pastoring, and um, last summer I had a three-month sabbatical that was awarded uh, to me by the elders of my church to just take some time off after 10 years of being their pastor, but then COVID hits. So three months off gets taken and gets replaced with the hardest year of ministry I have ever experienced in my life. And I know you've walked through it too. And I, uh, this summer, 
had my father passed away. I had a lot of things in my heart that God was doing, um, emotional things, exhaustion, physical things, and then I would say spiritual warfare. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, let me just tell you, you're a fool because the enemy pounced on me. I was stricken with anxiety and despair, literally on the edge of my bed, on my knees, praying the armor of God over my soul. Literally wondering, am I unraveling and going to lose my ministry here? Told the elders. The elders gave me like three weeks just to go be alone. And what I came to understand is, listen, I had a head knowledge of the hope that I have in Christ but I'm just wondering if so much of ministry and being busy, I, it, I've forgotten. Man, my heart knowledge needs to grow. I don't know if I love you with all my heart, God. I say I do. But if I'm fearing losing my wife and my kids and my ministry, maybe even I start unraveling with anxiety and fear. and Maybe I don't. I say I have faith in you. You know what's interesting? First Peter 1. It says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that hope is being kept for us, undefiled in heaven. And then he goes on to say, we are being guarded through faith until we receive it. And then guess what's right after that? In this you rejoice, though for a while you endure trials of various kinds, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that's refined by fire, may result in glory at the revelation of Christ. Glory to God. So in other words, he's saying, I'm going to get you there, Afshin, but your faith is going to have to go through fire and be refined. And that's the way God gets us there. So friend... I'm not saying do you know the hope with your head. But when the dark night of the soul comes for you, and it will, do you know the hope to which you've been called in your heart? Do you truly believe that this life that is fleeting is not your hope? That what's coming is better? Not just know it and preach it. Know it in your heart. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance, he says. He wants us to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, in the saints. And I believe this isn't primarily our inheritance that's in view. Remember we talked about the inheritance that we have, the hope that is being kept for us undefiled. I think what he's referring, listen to what he says. He wants us to know the riches of his glorious inheritance. God's inheritance is what he's talking about. In the saints. In other words, this is stressing how precious God's people are to him. Do you know, Christian, that God longs for the day when his inheritance is gathered in and he enjoys his people, the bride, for all eternity? What he's saying here is I want you to know in your heart that you are numbered amongst God's delighted inheritance, that he delights in you. Now, I might get controversial here, so from this the next portion, I'm speaking on behalf of Afshin Ziafat, not Danny Aiken and not Southeastern, okay? Because they may disagree. But let me just say, <laughs> that song that came out, What a Beautiful Name, and there was a lot of controversy, and I'm not defending the song because I don't even 
know all the lyrics right now. I couldn't even tell you all the lyrics. I don't know much about So I'm not even defending this song, but there was a line that I know was very controversial, and people asked me about it. Here it is. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? And people, I understand, thought that, man, that makes it seem like Jesus is lonely in heaven. He's needy, and so he wanted us. He couldn't, he couldn't live without us in heaven. And sure, if that's what was meant by the, by the song, then I would say, no, God doesn't need anyone. All right? That's not what, but listen to me. If you're saying, does Jesus desire that those who are called would be with him? I would say, yes, he does. That's why he came. I mean, this is the reason Jesus came, because he, in fact, didn't want you to not be in heaven. In fact, he prayed it in John 17, 24. He says, Father, I desire. What is the heart of Jesus? I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Yes, we don't want worship in the church that is man-centered. I'm the first one to say, man, we want our worship to be God-centered. But hear me say this. It is not stripping God of his dignity to bring into focus the fact that by his grace he put his delight on you and he delights in you. That he loves you. He can't wait for that day. And listen, this is, there's nothing, listen to me, guys, there's nothing more valuable than that could be said about you in your life. There's no achievement, no doctorate or whatever, PhD, whatever you want to put on the end of your name, no achievement, no success, no attainment that will satisfy you like this statement, that you belong amongst the inheritance of Christ and he delights in you. I was married November 15th, 2008. I stood at the end of the aisle, the doors open, and my bride, Meredith, walked down. I think we have a picture. Do we have that picture ready to go of my face? Yes? Yeah. That was my face as the doors opened and my bride was walking down the aisle. Now, if you're not married yet, let me just give you a little word. Your, faith, your face ought to look something like that. I mean, if you're up there going, oh, whatever, let's get this over with. All right, there's something wrong, okay? But let me just tell you something. When those doors open and you see your bride coming down, I mean, you, you, now listen to me. Look at, everyone look at me. I am an imperfect, fallible, wretched groom. You think about the perfect groom when the doors open and his bride enters in the church, the face of God, he delights in you. So friend, when the world rejects you, disowns you, casts you out, marginalizes you, passes you over, forgets about you, know that God delights in you. Know it in your, the depths of your heart. And one last thing, he wants you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. It is so powerful you can't measure it. In fact, it is the power that raised Christ from the dead, he says, and ascended him and seated him at the right hand of the Father and has given him all rule and authority and power and dominion. So in other words, if you're saying, well, is this power gone away? No, look at me, guys. The power that raised Christ from the dead and has ascended him to the seat uh, next to the Father 
is the same power that he currently has now sovereignly reigning over all creation. He put all things under his feet. And friend, if you're a believer in Christ, what Paul is saying here is, I want you to know that you have access to that power through the Holy Spirit. You have access to it. Do you know the immeasurable greatness of the power? What fear can we hold on to when we know this power? Not with head knowledge, but heart knowledge. We dare not think that something is impossible that God calls us to. So often we focus on self, right? We say, man, I can't do this task. I'm not gifted enough. Man, I, I, I don't have eloquence or I don't, whatever it might be. I'm not, you know, and we focus on I If God has called you to it, I'm telling you, he has the power, he'll equip you, he'll use you. My good friend Farshid was in prison for five years in Iran. Some of the time was in solitary confinement. He was released, and in Turkey I met up with him, and we did a a conference for Iranian refugees together. And every night I'd stay up till 3 a.m. with him in the hotel room, just going, tell me more, tell me more. He told me about his time in solitary confinement. And I'm telling you, I looked at Farshid, I go, Farshid, there's no, I'm just telling you, there's no way I could do that. I just physically would not be able to do that. And Farshid looks at me, he goes, Farshid, I'm telling you right now, I'm saying, there's no way I could do that. And he did it actually for five years. And he's saying, I'm telling you right now, I, I, I feel the same way, there's no way I could do it. But I'm telling you what, if God calls you to it, he'll give you the grace to endure it. He'll give you the power. Do you know the power that is at work within you? And so listen, don't look at your side. It's Moses at the burning bush. One of the funniest scenes maybe in the scripture is when he's conversing with God through the, in the burning bush. And literally God says, I have seen and heard the afflictions of my people. I am going to redeem them and rescue them out of the hands of Egypt. But I'm sending you to do it. And then he's like, well, uh, who am I? I mean, I would think God would say, uh, what? Moses, did you hear me? I said, I have heard, I have seen, I'm going to redeem them, but I'm sending you. He goes, oh, well, they won't believe that I talk to you. Well, I'll give you some signs so that they'll believe it, right? And then he goes, well, but I'm not eloquent in my speech. And he's like, I made the mouth that speaks. <laughs> and that's what we do. We focus on our own ability the spies that were sent into Canaan, remember, they all come back except for Joshua and Caleb. And they say, no, these people are giants. We're like grasshoppers. Forget it. And Joshua and Caleb are like, what are you talking about? God has called us, has promised the land to us, and he surely is going to be with us. And so, friend, do you look at yourself and your own ability, or do you know in your heart the one who called you is faithful and he will empower you? And I don't know about you, but I want to know God this way. Not just head knowledge. I want to know him in my heart. I want to have that strong anchor of hope that when the dark night comes, it doesn't shake me. And I confess it did. And God was gracious to lift me up. I pray, I want to know uh, that the, the I'm delighted in, and I want to know that his power is at work within me, and I want to experience it. And I'll close with this, and then we'll pray. Uh, I have a sermon prep team that meets with me. 
uh, and I, we go over the text before I, uh, um, I study it on my own, and I just kind of say, hey, uh, here's where I think I'm going to go. Give, what, are y- what is y'all's thoughts? And they kind of throw in some of their thoughts. And anyways, um, so uh, don't, yeah, I'm going to put it up in one second. So here's what happened. We're talking about this heart knowledge and not head knowledge, that God wants to give us heart knowledge, right? And, and I'm saying, uh, I'm saying uh, hold on, don't put it up just yet. You just stole my thunder because I looked back. I threw you off. So here's the deal. I, I'll say this and we'll pray. Um, m- when I went through this dark, dark season in my life about two months ago, thankfully God's brought me through it, my sister's my strongest prayer warrior has been praying for me, okay? And I've been praying, God, I want more of you. I've been praying this. I want to experience you. I want to see you work. I want to reveal yourself to me. And we finished talking about this text and that we want heart knowledge, not just head knowledge. And literally, I say, thanks, guys. Great hour. And I look at my phone, and here's the text that my sister sent me. Father God, according to Ephesians 1.18, have the eyes of Afshin's heart enlightened to know, know, know the sure hope to which you have sovereignly, effectually called him. Your word has spoken it, and you will do it. On the basis of Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I'm like, what? So then I sent her, you can show it now, that picture. I, I texted her that picture of our team going, you're not going to believe this. I literally she had no idea I'm studying that text. So, man, I'm just saying, God, it's, thank you for revealing yourself to me. You're with me, and I want to know it in my heart. Would you bow your head with me, and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this text. And, Lord, we pray And I pray for these students that as they do ministry and go on to further ministry, that, Lord, what we continue to strive after is a knowledge that transcends the mind. It's necessary, the heart-head knowledge, but it transcends it and it transforms the heart. God, we want to know you. We want the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know these truths, the hope, the power, the love, and the depths of our soul. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.